Listener supported. WNYC Studios. A quick heads up before we get started. This episode contains cursing. Oh, what are we looking at? I don't know. Somebody's coming in. Pick up the entranceway with the... uh... So, I'm at the Trump International Hotel in Washington, D.C. People watching with my new friend, Zach Everson, when a large group appears at the check-in desk. The managing director escorted them in there. Somebody is recording it, videoing it. Um, I I have no idea who this could be. Zach's a food and travel journalist who now writes a daily email newsletter called 1100 Pennsylvania. That's the address here. It is to Trump's Washington what Tatler was to 18th century London, a gossipy running account of famous people in a famous place. Clearly, they're all stopping to get their picture taken. And what do we have? One, two, three, four cameras out there taking pictures of what's happening. Clearly, we're looking at someone. But who is this? They actually have like a manager of the hotel, manager of the restaurant. And it's one of those guys is behind them as well. So they are getting the uh, the grand entrance. Um, and everyone in the group is black. I'm guessing maybe they're yeah. from an African country. They sort of have that fashion maybe. It certainly could be, though there's one older white gentleman with a bald head who just came out to greet them in the middle, but he is obstructed. This could be a story for tomorrow's newsletter if Zach can figure out who drew this crowd. And now the crowd is moving away from the check-in desk and towards the elevators. Well, you can only get upstairs if you have a key card. It appears they're staying here. You know who else is staying here? Me and Trump Inc. senior producer Meg Kramer. We just did something that anyone with enough money can do. We checked in to the President's Hotel. Hello, how are you? Merritt's Merritt Kramer with a C. Just so you can picture it, the Trump International Hotel is a new business in an old building, the old post office. It's a huge granite castle located directly on the diagonal that leads from the Capitol building to the White House. We booked two rooms. Our key cards came in paper sleeves, listing Trump properties around the world, including several that have been de-Trumped, like Panama, Toronto, and Soho. We sit down with Zach. It's a little bit like how I imagine hanging out with a Secret Service man might be. He has this situational awareness thing. There goes the bacon, by the way. Even if it's just a waiter carrying a plate of candied bacon, which is served on a mini clothesline. It's a hit on Instagram. Not long after this, Zach is looking at his phone, and his eyes go big. And he announces he just figured out who brought the entourage. He's a fucking candidate. He's a fucking candidate for president of Nigeria. The election's next month. Are you kidding? Somehow the fucking Trump Hotel is a campaign stop. How did no. you, how did you figure this out? Somebody in his entourage posted a picture. Oh. And they tagged it as the Trump Hotel. Oh, my God. I'm sorry to be talking so high, but oh, crap. <laughs> Atiku Abubakar, a candidate for president of Nigeria, paying money to the business owned by the president of the United States. We hope you enjoy your stay at the Trump International Hotel. Hello and welcome to Trump, Inc., a podcast from WNYC and ProPublica that digs deep into the Trump family business. I'm Ilya Meritz. And I'm Meg Kramer. This week, we're exploring the Trump family business by going there. The Trump International Hotel in D.C. came into being almost at the exact same moment that Trump became president. In fact, he talked about it all the time during the campaign, like in this debate with Hillary Clinton. I'll give you an example. We're just opening up on Pennsylvania Avenue, right next to the White House. 
So if I don't get there one way, I'm going to get to Pennsylvania Avenue another. It was a big renovation project, remodeling a historic building, the old post office in D.C. But we're opening the old post office under budget, ahead of schedule, saved tremendous money. I'm a year ahead of schedule. And that's there's some debate about these claims. The ribbon cutting at the hotel is the following month. The month after that, Trump is elected president. If you are inclined to see problems, now you see a really big one. I mean, right now, there are a lot of questions being even raised about the Trump Hotel in D.C. And if, you know, the president isn't off the lease or off the ownership portion of it by inauguration, he could be breaking the law. Now, there have been a lot of questions about whether the Trump International creates a conflict of interest because its lease is with the federal government. You want a favor from the president of the United States, uh, you're not going to go stay at any other luxury hotel. You're going to go to the Trump Hotel in the old post office. And then Trump is sworn in and his hotel instantly becomes a very popular place. Trump himself has visited at least 20 times since taking office, according to the New York Times, attending fundraisers, greeting guests. As far as we know, it contains the only restaurant in D.C. that he's been to since being sworn in. And a whole host of people doing business with the government have been spending their money here. So many that we have begun to think of this place as the physical manifestation of the conflicts of interest between Trump's business and his presidency. Take, for example, T-Mobile CEO John Ledger. A few days before we visited, he was spotted in the lobby, walking around, as he often does, in hot pink T-Mobile gear. Ledger is right now trying to get the government to approve a big merger with Sprint. More on that later. The hotel is also the subject of three ongoing lawsuits, which claim that when local and foreign governments spend money at Trump's property, it's a violation of the Constitution's anti-corruption clauses. Those are known as the emoluments clauses. Trump's lawyer, Sherry Dillon, disagrees. These people are wrong. This is not what the Constitution says. She said paying for a hotel room isn't a problem since it's not a gift. She pledged that the Trump Organization, under the leadership of Donald Trump Jr. and Eric Trump, the president's sons, would give the government any profits from the bookings. To date, the company, which the president still owns and can take money from at any time, says it has donated over $340,000 to the U.S. Treasury. A couple things to know before we head back to the lobby. We recorded the conversations you'll hear on cell phones to be unobtrusive, and we had permission to record from the people we interviewed. Also, we paid for our stay. Not long after we sit down with Zach, a man approaches us purposefully. He's in a very nice suit, and he looks a little bit like the actor Ray Fiennes. This is Michael Damelincourt, the managing director of the hotel. Hey, Michael. Hello. How are you? Nice to meet you. He has these old-world good manners and a mild French accent, like a hotel manager in the movies. But this does not quite smooth out the awkwardness I'm feeling. Weeks earlier, we at Trump Inc. published emails. His emails. The correspondence showed Damelin Cork quoting a price for event spaces at the Trump Hotel to the Trump Inaugural Committee. A price that was so high, we reported it. <laughs> I know where to find you. I will keep it anyways, though. Really nice so yeah, it's weird, but also cordial. Very nice guy. He's perfect for this job. You, know, you have to have that sort of personality to succeed in, the, in, in this business. And he, he works out of the lobby. Maybe you have noticed, like we have, that the word lobbyist contains the word lobby. That's because one comes from the other. In 16th century London, the lobbies of the Houses of Parliament were where members of the public could meet with lawmakers. 
Americans turned the noun into a verb. Trump's lobby is a bright terrarium at the center of the building, with daylight coming down through a glass ceiling nine stories above us. There's a bar at one end, topped with a slab of vanilla onyx. In the middle, there are dozens of couches and armchairs grouped around little tables. At the other end, you've got the hotel's restaurant, BLT Prime. The top level is open to the rest of the lobby like an indoor terrace, with potted trees placed between the tables. And near the middle of the terrace, there's a round table in a primo spot next to a tree. In all his visits to the hotel, Zach has only ever seen one party seated there. I could sense it was happening. You could start to see they were polishing the banisters a little more. Mikhail was pacing back and forth. You know, I'm like, I think this is happening. Then I came down to go to dinner, and there's six Secret Service guys at the bottom of my elevator. I'm like, yeah, yeah, game on. Um, you know, I didn't ask any hard-hitting questions. It was Earth Day. I didn't ask him, you know, what his thoughts are over that. I, I asked, what did you order, sir? <laughs> he said, steak, and uh, gave me a look, and I got a nice little video of it. And that was kind of what I wanted to see, that because I was here and was a customer of the Trump Hotel, I got a kind of cool interaction with the president. You know, I didn't ask Sometime around 5, I learned that my room is ready for me, and I head on up to the top floor. It takes two elevators. There's a complimentary copy of Trump magazine waiting for me. The motto, live luxury, never settle. And it takes stock of everything that's gold. The taps, the toilet handle, the toilet paper rack, towel hooks, trash can, soap dish, Kleenex box, shower head, drain. And I head back down to Zach. I don't want to miss anything. And since I've been gone, the place has transformed. It takes me a minute to figure out what exactly changed, but the lighting is dimmed, the music is a lot louder, and the tourists are gone. They're replaced by women in long, slinky dresses and men in tuxes. There's an event going on tonight in the ballroom next door. It's a fundraiser for an anti-abortion group called Save the Storks. Kirk Cameron, the former teen heartthrob from Growing Pains, is supposed to be there, but we don't see him in the lobby. Instead, we see a singer, whose name I'm learning for the very first time, Joy Villa. Big hair, metallic jacket. Oh, she has a fan. Joy. Where is she? That guy's, like, shaking hands, shook hands with her and with her okay, companions. Yep, yep. Joy Villa has a single titled Make America Great Again. She's known for doing red carpet at the Grammys in a gown with a much larger than life-size fetus painted on the side. Her handbag read, Choose Life. Zach says she's an example of a type you often see here. I mean, they're here to be recognized. If you are a celebrity in Trump world, you don't sit in the Trump hotel's lobby to have a quiet moment to journal or, you know, think about your day. You're there to be seen. Later that night, we spot Dr. Sebastian Gorka, the sweet, generous American-Hungarian Brit and former White House aide holding court. Our butts by now are firmly planted on a seafoam couch near the bar. Zach chose this spot for its people watching. My license to linger, I usually buy the $15 Tempranillo, uh-huh. which is pretty good. That's about the cheapest drink on the menu. At the other end of the scale, you can drink one ounce of Hungarian toke from a crystal spoon for $140. We invited someone else to help us make sense of the lobby. Anita Kumar covers the White House for Politico and before that for McClatchy. By the time she joins us, we're all squeezed side by side, drinking tap water, and I'm pointing a smartphone her way. Is this how you're doing? This is how we're doing it. Uh Uh-oh. I kind of wondered, and I was like, is there equipment? No. Okay. 
In her time as a White House reporter, Anita has spent many hours covering Trump properties from the outside, in the press van, while Trump golfs or dines at one of his businesses. I have not been here that often, but I have been here a couple times, and Trump staffers, White House staffers, have recommended, like, let's meet at the Trump Hotel. So it's not that they don't want to be here or don't want to be seen here. So that was, you know, just people come here. During the 2018 midterms, Anita kept track of the money that campaigns were spending at Trump's D.C. hotel. And it was really interesting because you can see, some you can see what it is. It's like $50. They had a drink or they had a steak or something. And some are spending thousands of dollars. And so we called some of them, all Republicans, we called their offices or called the campaigns and asked, why did you come here? Like, what was it about this place that drew you here? And many people didn't want to talk to us. Some told us um, it's a great bar, it's a great restaurant, it's a great atmosphere, it's the best place in town, why would we not want to come? But I remember Senator Paul's office or campaign had said, donors want to come here. So if the donors want to come here it was for a fundraiser, we should give them what they want. A spokesperson for Senator Paul said, Donors love that location, and when you're raising money, it makes sense to hold events where the donors like to be. We order drinks. Zach gets the $15 Tempranillo. It's 6.45, and I have somewhere to be. I have a meeting with a group of people who would be here no matter whose name was on the building, the Washington Ringing Society. They meet every Thursday to ring the official bells of Congress, which hang in the tower of the old post office. As I learned, this is not technically considered part of the hotel. Well, it's, it's in the building. It's in the old post office tower. It, it predates the hotel. Quilla Roth and Rick Dupuy are members. I mean, the old post office tower is a national park. So they're in a national park. At 7 o'clock, I head out to the sidewalk to hear the bells. And they're overpowered by the sound of an approaching motorcade. It slows down and turns the corner, heading towards the back entrance of this hotel. I can see Vice President Pence's frosty hair through the window. Minutes later, they're in the ballroom giving a speech. States save the storks has saved 5,000 lives. Mike Pence visited the Trump International Hotel in D.C. nine times last year. Political groups affiliated with Pence have been spending big money here something reporters like Politico's Anita Kumar have noticed. Since the beginning of 2017, political groups have spent over $1.8 million just at Trump's D.C. hotel. Doesn't that tell you something? There is a reason they're going. And it can't just be that it has a really good stake. Um, They want access. They want access to people who come here, but they want access to people that are close to Trump, maybe President Trump himself. Later, alone at the bar, I really just want to sip my beer and make notes. But I quickly learned that writing in a reporter's notebook is a little bit like showing up at church in your bathing suit. A couple women seated near me start to ask questions. Oh my God, are you a writer? Are you writing about us? I tell them what I do, and when I ask them what they do, they sort of clam up and tell me they do PR, political PR. 20 minutes later, the same exchange repeats itself with a different duo. So I put away my pad and just hang out. The place looks and feels like an ad for premium liquor. Everyone seems to be in their 30s. They're well looked after. They're laughing at each other's jokes. It's easy to strike up a conversation with a stranger. And when I head up to my room a little after midnight, the music is still pumping. I can hear it through the gap at the bottom of the door as I drift off to sleep. 
A few hours after Ilya goes to bed, I wake up with a plan. It's about 3 o'clock in the morning. I set my alarm because I wanted to just make sure that I saw at least what was going on in the lobby at some point in the night. I climb out of bed, leave my pajamas on, pull on a pair of sneakers, and walk out to the balcony overlooking the lobby. There's someone vacuuming in one corner, another person is sweeping behind the bar, and there are three people in evening wear. Here's some voices down there. Hanging out around a small table in the middle of the lobby. Like a little underdressed to be approaching interview guests. Hi there. Sorry to bother you. I'm a, I'm a reporter. This is the first time all night, by the way, that I have convinced someone to let me record our conversation. It doesn't take much. Jen Lux is a very friendly person. Talk to me. Good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jen lives in D.C. and works in political operations. I've been doing it since John McCain in 2008, which has nothing to do with Trump in 2019. She's at the hotel tonight for the Save the Storks charity ball. Were you working at that or were you attending? Attending. Did you see Kurt Cameron? I did see Kurt Cameron. And I'm a child of the 80s, so I understand what that means. It's been a while since she and her friends have seen each other. So they're lingering in the lobby, drinking water and talking. If you have the leftovers from the event, we're the leftovers of the leftovers who are just trying to catch up on, like, family. I get the sense this is all I'm going to learn about Jen Lux. Because once I sit down next to her, my pajamas next to her evening gown, she starts interviewing me. How long have you been in journalism? Did you study oh, journalism I, or communications? I studied history. Yeah, such a beautiful thing to study. Where were you? A few minutes later, I say thanks and good night. Thank you so very much. So nice to meet you. I hope you like sleep well and the beds are lovely and all the things. Thank you. Three sixteen a.m. It's been about twelve hours since we checked into the president's hotel. In that very short period of time, we have seen a Nigerian presidential candidate, the current vice president of the United States, at least two Trump world celebrities. Ilya saw Reince Priebus going into the restaurant at one point, and a lot of people like Jen Lux. People who are not necessarily here to get Trump's attention, but who were drawn to this place, directly or indirectly, by the powerful pull of Trump's celebrity. That includes us. We'll be right back. Time to greet the day. It's 8.30. I'm meeting a friend who just moved to D.C. He seems surprised the hotel is so nice. The waiters are attentive, the coffee is good, and there's no one much here except for us and the Nigerians. And I'm looking at a table of one, two, three, four, I think 13 or so people. Uh, And everyone's having breakfast. They look happy. Uh, Every so often... People who seem to be friends or supporters come by, shake hands, make the rounds. I'm watching their body language, trying to figure out who here is the candidate for president, Atiku Abubakar. Later, I learn Abubakar wasn't at the table when I was there. Maybe he was heading off to visit Congress or doing TV back home. Uh, So let me begin by asking you, um, why did you decide to go to the U.S. now? Well, I, I had invitations from a number of... Uh, if you look closely over Abubakar's shoulder, you can see he's doing this particular interview from one of the upper floors of the Trump Hotel. There's a lot to learn about this man. Before going into politics, Abubakar had a 20-year career as a Nigerian customs official. In the 1990s, he and his wife lived in the suburbs of Washington, D.C., 
1999, he became Nigeria's vice president. Some years later, an American member of Congress, William Jefferson, Democrat from Louisiana, was jailed for arranging a bribe that prosecutors said was intended for Abubakar. In 2010, Abubakar's name came up again. A Senate committee produced a detailed report on how the proceeds of foreign corruption sometimes end up in the United States. Abubakar is mentioned more than 300 times. He's believed to have moved over $40 million in suspect funds into the U.S. Now, many Nigerians like Atiku Abubakar, but the knock on him, the thing that might keep him from winning this election, it's corruption. He's asked about it all the time. You avoided going to America for the past 12 years because of corruption. Uh, do you think your visit to the, to the U.S. right now will set the record straight? I have always maintained that there is no corruption issue. I don't have any corruption issue in the U.S. And you know, U.S. is such a He has not been charged with crimes, and he says he's not corrupt. About 10 years ago, the State Department reportedly barred Abubakar from visiting the United States. And then in the fall of 2018, Abubakar and his party hired two lobbyists close to Trump. One is Brian Ballard. Years ago, he was Donald Trump's lobbyist when he wanted to establish a casino in Florida. Now he's what Politico called the most powerful lobbyist in Trump's Washington. A partner at Ballard, Jamie Rubin, told us the firm worked only on supporting the democratic process in Nigeria, not on Abubakar's travel. The other lobbyist is Scott Mason. He used to run congressional relations for Trump's campaign and transition team. Disclosures filed by Mason show he lobbied Congress, the State Department, and the National Security Council on visa issues. Mason's firm did not comment. As we saw with our own eyes, Abubakar got a visa. Down in the atrium, Abubakar's retinue is swelling. It's spilling over onto more and more loungers and settees till they take up about a quarter of the space. I spot two guys who look like they could be aides to the candidate, and so I start a conversation. Within seconds, a hotel manager plants himself between me and the Nigerians. Without acknowledging me, he tells them, Ilya is a reporter. Do you know that? The Nigerians don't seem phased. So I give them my card, and we continue talking. One of them tells me, we need to put Nigeria on the right path. He says Abubakar is in Washington for discussions on trade and the economy. He chose this hotel because it's convenient and a nice place to stay. I always wonder what this place would be like if Trump had not won. You know, who would be here? I'm sure it would be doing well because it's a beautiful hotel, but how different would the clientele be if Donald Trump was still Donald Trump, the, the businessman rather than president? David Farenthold met us at the hotel at breakfast time. He covers Trump's businesses for The Washington Post. He and his colleague, Jonathan O'Connell, have been reporting on who spends money at Trump's hotel and what kind of influence they might want. They wrote about a hotel guest we mentioned earlier in this episode, T-Mobile's CEO, John Ledger. The T-Mobile story that we got was different because it was such a close tie between somebody wanting something from Trump's administration and paying money to Trump's business. So we got a hold of these things called VIP arrivals lists. So they're things that the staff here gets from their managers every day to say, here are the most important people checking in. People like friends of the Trump family or big spenders at the hotel or important people in Washington. They tell the staff, you know, be on the lookout so you can greet people by name. And we got those for April 30th of 2018, last year. So April 30th is the day after T-Mobile, this company based in Seattle, announces a huge merger with Sprint. where They need the Trump administration to approve this merger, and they're going to all make a lot of money. The next day, nine executives from T-Mobile check into the Trump hotel. They come back again and again. 
it's not this is not nine people from the accounting department or you know nine people from you know the T-Mobile store in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's nine of the top executives at headquarters, including John Ledger, who was their their outspoken CEO. My co-reporter Jonathan O'Connell found him and asked him, "Hey, why are you here?" And he said, oh, "I just feel very comfortable here, you know. And also, I'm you know here to lobby the Justice Department, and it's right across the street." We asked the White House and the Trump Organization if there are any protocols in place to prevent President Trump from knowing who patronizes his D.C. hotel or other Trump properties. They made no reply to this or any of our other questions. And, you know, if there's not like an explicit order, which we haven't ever found, of Donald Trump saying, hey, if you want something from me, you know, from my government, come stay at my hotel. People aren't stupid, right? In Washington, everybody wants a leg up. Everybody wants to influence government in every possible way they can. So if you think this will help you, why not? It, in the grand scheme of things, given how much people spend on lobbying in Washington, even a really expensive hotel room is a drop in that bucket. We're two years into this thing. So mm-hmm. I've spent a lot of time looking back at the articles that were written in like January of 2017. And now it's January of 2019. What does that mean, those those two years of accumulated social action in this space. It's a really interesting, to me, a a sign of how Trump has become the Republican Party. You know, there's no Republican headquarters but here. There's no, if you're going to gather as Republicans in Washington, this is the place to do it. I'm not sure that place really existed before. You know, we've talked to people here, Republicans who are here. There's often so much drama and negativity outside this building for them. They're, you know, because of trade wars and tariffs and stock market problems and declining poll numbers. Here, it's always, you know, November 8th, 2016. You know, they're always winners. They're surrounded by people who were there when they won. One. So it's a it's a safe. I think somebody calls it a safe space. You know, they come in to to be with other people and to revel in that moment that they had together. Is there like a hotel at Disney World that does New Year's Eve every <laughs> night? Is, is it is, it's like the the analog for that? Yeah, and it's 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 similar. It's and the people who were there on November eighth, twenty sixteen, that were part of that victory, even if they have fallen from grace in the Trump world. You never, uh, you know, everybody knows your name here. You know, they're celebrated here in a way that doesn't go away. And what about the ongoing? conflict of interest. The conflict of interest thing is unlike anything we've ever seen in modern American history. I want to know how this, not necessarily how it ends, but how it is in a year. You know, we've gone through a period where there's been so little interest in official Washington scrutinizing what's happening here uh, that's over, that there's going to be a lot more scrutiny now. I don't know what that'll look like in a year and if it will seem as great of an idea for Trump to set up his own hotel five blocks from the White House in a year as it does today. The Trump Organization leases the old post office from the federal government. They pay rent. An agency called the General Services Administration manages the lease. Last month, the inspector general of that agency published a review of how the GSA handled the potential conflicts of interest that came with Trump being elected president. Without saying whether it's proper or improper for the U.S. president to have a financial interest in the hotel, the authors of the report faulted the GSA for not even considering the question. They said the agency ignored the Constitution. And then they basically said, don't let that happen again. The GSA agreed with the recommendations. So long. Thank you. And with that, we checked out of the Trump International Hotel in D.C. Afterwards, Meg and I both had this strong feeling. Boy, were we lucky to see so much in less than 24 hours. Dr. Sebastian Gorka, the stork ball, Vice President Pence, a candidate for president of Nigeria. How fortunate that we picked this day of all days to be here. Thing is, you could get lucky here any day of the week. 
Every weekday morning, the latest issue of Zach Everson's 1100 Pennsylvania newsletter arrives in my inbox, and I am always excited to open it up and see what he's written. It is stuffed with social media showing lobbyists and cabinet officials enjoying themselves here. Guests here have included the Prime Minister of Malaysia, the Governor of Maine, a lobbyist for the Saudi government once booked 500 rooms in just three months. I've suggested that you know, the, the D.C. media should have a um, Trump Hotel press pool, like how they have a White House one, but they should pitch in and have somebody here every night from 6 to 11 and just see what you can get. I'd go one step further. It's not just journalists who should see this place. Everyone should. All Americans. On our way out, we had one more stop. We didn't want to leave without properly checking out the National Park. From the top of the old post office tower, you can see most of Washington, including the White House. Gosh, it looks so much bigger on TV. <laughs> to the south, on the mall, the Save the Storks people were gathering for the March for Life. As for the people we saw at the hotel, Joy Villa made headlines a few weeks later with her Build the Wall dress at the Grammys. The gown included a sculptural ball of barbed wire on each shoulder. Mike Pence's political action committee disclosed spending of more than $36,000 at the Trump Hotel in the space of just two months. In the lobby, Ilya kept bumping into Michael Damlincourt, the hotel's director. Each conversation was a little bit less awkward, and by the time we left, Ilya felt that they'd really bonded. And Atiku Abubakar? Well, as we recorded this episode, the results of the Nigerian election were still coming in. But it seemed pretty clear he would finish in second place without the votes to win. Abubakar's party said it could challenge the results. Coming up on Trump, Inc., Michael Cohen is scheduled to testify publicly before the House Oversight Committee. If that happens, you'll be hearing from us. If you enjoyed this show, please leave us a review on iTunes. And if you haven't already, subscribe to our newsletter at trumpincpodcast.org. Speaking of newsletters, if you have not yet subscribed to Zach Everson's 1100 Pennsylvania, I would highly recommend checking it out. We here at Trump Inc. are big fans. This episode was produced by Catherine Sullivan. The senior producer of Trump Inc. is Meg Kramer. Wayne Schulmeister mixed the episode with help from Hannes Brown. And Bill Moss is the technical director. Charlie Herman and Eric Umansky are the editors with Nick Varshaver. Special thanks this episode to Zach Everson, Anita Kumar, David Farenthold, Jonathan O'Connell, and the Washington Ringing Society. Robin Fields is ProPublica's managing editor. Jim Schachter is the vice president for news at WNYC. And Steve Engelberg is the editor-in-chief at ProPublica. Original music composed by Hannes Brown. 